0: Hello, and welcome to our series, Career Resilience, where we talk with people about their career path and their career journey, and maybe we can all learn from each other. My name is Jan Daniluk, and I'm a human resources professional in London, Ontario, Canada. I work with Ford Keast LLP, and I work with my clients to help them with the HR side of their business. We hope that you will enjoy these discussions with real people about real challenges and real working life situations. Welcome. Our guest today is Pedro Rente Lorenzo. Welcome, Pedro. Thank you, Jen. It's so nice to get a chance to talk with you. And I think I should let everybody know that actually you're in London as well. I'm in London, you're in London. The difference is, where's your London?
1: <laughs> it's London, UK. London, UK. One ocean apart.
0: <laughs> yes, feels like a long way sometimes. So, Pedro, I have a whole bunch of questions on my my various screens here in my uh, office. So, I think that you've had a really interesting career trajectory. And I wanted to start with talking about your current job. Tell me what you do for a living.
1: So, I'm currently the lead researcher and data scientist at Vodafone Group. Vodafone is a major uh, telecommunications company and I am leading all of our social good innovation projects which means our with with our data looking at innovative ways on how we can use it for social good and and this can be in uh, eradicating malaria from Africa or in COVID-19 and helping governments cope with uh, the current crisis.
0: And how long have you been in this role?
1: Uh, Two and a half years. Okay
0: so uh, take me into your education now then that led you to this type of role?
1: So my, my background is in biomedical engineering. Um, I was actually fascinated by the, the possibility to bridge the gap between the medical, um, medical side of things and the technology side. And that's why I went to biomedical engineering. And then through that, I did a master's in neurotechnology. And that's how I got into artificial intelligence, basically in neuro-inspired algorithms to help us um, uncover things from, from data and make better predictions and make better decisions for, for businesses. And that's how I got into data science and artificial intelligence. Um, and, and now I'm here.
0: When you say artificial intelligence, I think I might envision something different than you. What, what do you mean by artificial intelligence?
1: There are several levels of uh, data science and artificial intelligence. So there's a level where we are analyzing the data and trying to uncover insights that were previously unknown. Um, There's a level where we are doing predictions, uh, so trying to predict customer behavior or trying to predict um, how a certain market will evolve. Uh, And then there's a, a whole other level, which is what I would call real artificial intelligence, where you have fully autonomous systems making decisions or advising on decisions and that could theoretically run on their own.
0: Okay. So did you have an undergrad degree and then your master's like, can you just, sorry, say that again to me?
1: Yeah, I did a bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering back in Lisbon and did, and then I went into a master's in neurotechnology um, here in London at Imperial College. Okay.
0: So. This is a bit of a digression, but you grew up in Lisbon?
1: Yes. yes I and
0: you grew up speaking Portuguese in Lisbon?
1: Yes, yes. I had uh, English classes. It's uh, one of the foreign languages that we usually learn in, in Portugal. But yes, native language is Portuguese.
0: And when, when did you start
1: learning English? Um, I think it was around uh, when I was 12 years old from quite a young age. And how did you learn it so well? Just through school. Um, I think in Portugal we have a big advantage because in TV and movies nothing is dubbed. Everything has subtitles when you know, when, when there's a, a foreign language, um, which really helps with the pronunciation and learning a um, little bit of the the intricacies of, of, of the language. So I think I was lucky in that sense uh, and yeah and just uh, through school and then throughout university I was, I was always very exposed to English. So would you watch American or
0: British tv or?
1: Um, just the movies and the tv shows, yes. Um, mm-hmm. i watch a lot of uh, American and British tv shows.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was one that really helped you with your English?
1: Oh, I, I don't know. There were so many. I remember being, being little and watching uh, Desperate Housewives. That was a personal <laughs> favorite.
0: <laughs> Everybody loved that show. Um, so you're, you're also an entrepreneur. So tell me about that side of your world.
1: Um, so I, I have a, a small company right now um, which is uh, just doing artificial intelligence consultancy it's where we help our clients um, mostly in defining their strategies on how they should use their data and uncovering new possibilities and new revenue streams, for example, cool. uh, or just by um, making their customer experiences better and the customer journeys better. Um, and that's my entrepreneurial side at this point. But in the past, I um, had a couple of small businesses. So um, I had the chance to take over some family businesses um, because my my family wasn't able to run them anymore. And I was excited by the possibility of uh, making my mark and, and running it myself and putting my own ideas uh, to work.
0: Mm-hmm. And what kind of businesses were those?
1: So there were two. Uh, one of them was a footwear company, um, a footwear brand based in Portugal. Uh, basically producing sustainable footwear with recycled materials. And the other one was an IT consultancy and professional training uh, service. And that was very much in the realm of what I'm used to doing, advising clients on how they should run their IT systems and helping them implement um, their IT systems, but also providing training, which is something that I find very interesting. Mm
0: I'm kind of all over the place here because it, you're, you're just so interesting in terms of the things that you've done. Um, but you decided to remain in London. You, you decided not to go back to Lisbon.
1: Um, I, I did go back to Lisbon for a couple of years, uh, and that was when I was running these these businesses. I thought it was so when I was uh, when I finished my master's here in, in London, I I stayed for a couple more months because I was doing a research project and I was working at the university. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to go and explore a little bit more and explore something beyond biomedical engineering and beyond uh, the realms of academia because obviously the business world is very different from, from academia and I really wanted to be exposed to that. Um, and that's why I left and went back to Portugal. And then recently even I had a, an offer to come back and I always loved London. so. It felt right.
0: What's it like to move to a whole other country?
1: It's, it's scary at first, mm-hmm. um, particularly when you don't know anyone, um, but it's, it was a, an amazing experience. I must say it helped me grow a lot. Um, I was 21, yes I was 21 at the time, and I grew a lot by moving to London, I had, I was on my own, you know, before I was very close to my parents, I could rely on them for everything, you know, Mm -hmm. even even if you're ill, you have someone there very close. Whereas moving away meant that I just had to get by on my own. And obviously, I had full support from my family and they're they're very, very caring. Um, But they are quite, quite far away. it it was it was a very very interesting experience and I think it really helped me grow.
0: Did you know anyone when you got to London?
1: Um no I had I had one acquaintance that was here and he helped me kind of navigate you know places to live and things like that but that was mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then I just had to make new friends and create my own little family within mm-hmm. within London.
0: Mhm. And so what advice would you give to someone who was thinking of making such a dramatic move?
1: Absolutely do it. It's uh, it's really good. As scary as it sounds, I think th- the opportunities are amazing. It's great to move to a different country. It's great to embed yourself in a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, although the countries are very close together, Portugal and the UK, the cultures are completely different, mm-hmm. particularly in London. London is a, it's an insane city. Um, and I, I think it's a really good growth opportunity. It's a really good... Um, travel opportunity and being exposed to that kind of risk and that um, you know not having your safety net really helps yes, yes. In, in your development yeah
0: you say London is a crazy city what 's your definition of a crazy city
1: there 's a lot of hustle and bustle there's a lot of people you, mm-hmm. you know, it 's not something that we have in in Lisbon um, Lisbon is busy but it 's very small. You can cross yeah. Lisbon from one side to the next in 20 minutes. That's not possible in London at all. Yeah. And so just the routine of uh, getting in the tube and um, going through huge crowds or trying to get anywhere and everywhere is so busy was very Mm -hmm. different for me. Yeah, it's something that I've grown accustomed to and that I I actually enjoy.
0: (laughs) Our London here has a population of about 350,000 people, which I think would be a neighborhood in your (laughs) London there.
1: Yeah, I think I think London is about 10 million in in total.
0: Well, they say it's of one size during the day and another size at night.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe I will ask you one more question. Can you give me a specific example of of a of what you're working on so that I can really understand that what happens in your
1: day? So, I can give you a, um an example that is very representative of what data science is like in a telecommunications company. So let's say um, we want to tackle the problem of customers uh, leaving um, Vodafone. So if a customer wants to change their network what every single telecommunications company has done in the past is offer promotion, try to retain the customer, but sometimes you offer promotions to people that are not really prone to changing uh, networks, or you're not uh, actually targeting the people that would want to change the, the their network or their service, service mm-hmm. provider. So what we do is we use data about the way these people uh, use our services and their profiles and everything that um, involves the customer and the service that we are providing to make better predictions about who is likely to want to leave Vodafone. In this way, we, re- we reduce costs by giving promotions only to the right people and also capture more of the people that would uh, want to change their uh, network provider.
0: Mm-hmm. So are there privacy issues that you run up against in your world?
1: Uh, yeah, so that's a major, um, a major point in, in everything that we do. So at Vodafone, privacy is by design and, and we take it very seriously. So we only deal with anonymized data and everything is, very safe within Vodafone and we gather consent to use every single piece of of data that we hold. Um, so that's very, it's, it's a very interesting uh, place to be because you actually get to learn how things should be done in terms of preserving privacy.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me about malaria and COVID and, and what, and those things that you mentioned at the beginning.
1: So that's, um, that started actually as a sort of like a parallel stream to my work. Where I was dedicating just a small percentage of my time to these social good innovation projects. Yes. Uh, and it started with the malaria uh, epidemiology. So basically, the way just to sum it up, when the way malaria is transmitted across a country is uh, through human mobility. So what happens is mosquitoes are the ones that transmit malaria, but right. they move in very um, very short distances. But a person that is carrying malaria can transmit malaria to a mosquito that wasn't infected before, and then that mosquito will reproduce and transmit it further. So what we do is by looking at network records of where phones are connected to, because we have several cell towers across uh, each country, we get to see massive population movements and we get to help map um, how malaria is spreading. And that is very helpful to define strategies for its elimination. And obviously the same thing with COVID, whereas COVID is not transmitted by a mosquito, it's transmitted directly from uh, person to person, but that was very relevant. So we're doing a lot of work in COVID-19 analytics, working with a lot of different entities to help find not only the best solutions to see our way out of this, of this crisis, but also to understand the impact that COVID-19 had in people's lives and how different groups of people were affected differently.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is a division of Vodafone and we're Vodafone sort of giving back to society?
1: Yes. It's part of uh, Vodafone's purpose. uh, to connect for a better future. Uh, It's something that we do. We started by doing it just on on the side, but then it sort of grew to to be its own, uh, its own division within the big data and AI function of Mm -hmm. uh, Vodafone.
0: And you were a big part of that start, that startup within Vodafone.
1: Yes, yes. I've been uh, leading this, this, these projects for about a year and a half now.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It really is, Pedro.
1: I, I love it. I, I think it's great that we are giving back to society.
0: Yes, I think that's huge. I mean, isn't that what we should be all about? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're leading a team, and I think that's a great transition into what you and I decided we would chat about, just in general about career resilience and, and working and so on. And that is times that you and I have both admitted to each other that we've been terrible managers of people. And uh, although I think lots of times when, when people talk about people management, they say, So, you know, to be a great people manager, step one is this and step two is this, but I think you and I are going to take a different look and say, this is where I went horribly wrong as a people manager. So, so why don't you start us off with, with your thought process there?
1: Sure. (laughs) Um, I definitely had times where I, it actually makes me cringe how bad of a manager I was. (laughs) Um, and, I, I would say that mostly when I moved back to Portugal, I was, I was very young um, to, to be managing a team. And all of a sudden, you know, I was excited by the challenge of managing a company and you know, using my own ideas and driving a strategy. And that was all very interesting and exciting for me. And I think also because throughout my education, I've always assumed leadership roles, so you know, team lead or, or leading mm-hmm. group projects and so on. I thought, you know, it's just a natural progression um, and I was, <laughs> I was insanely wrong. Uh, you know, it was it was really, really interesting. Obviously, I was quite young, um, I was inexperienced and that obviously had it, I had my own insecurities. And I think that's what led to some bad management, things like being too friendly uh, to, to my employees to try to find validation in them. Um, And then sometimes too stern in times where it wasn't necessary or micromanaging uh, situations where, you know, people were just feeling like you're not letting me do my own job. (laughs) And and then that kind of like creates that um, sort of hinders that relationship of trust that you should have. And yeah, it's just a terrible, terrible time.
0: (laughs) How could you tell that was happening?
1: Um, At the time, I couldn't. Um, at the time, I was oblivious to it. I thought I, I was doing my best and I was trying my best. And I just, I had to, it took it took me some time to distance myself from it and realize, you know what, you did a couple of things completely wrong. Yeah. Obviously there were small things that I knew immediately that I could have done differently, but I was also too proud to admit to myself that I should have.
0: To yeah. Be Um, I I have a couple of examples of of things that I did as a manager when I first became a manager of people. And, you know, so many, I understand what you're saying, Pedro, in terms of you took team lead at school. So just sort of migrate over to team lead when people report to you in business. And, um, And lots of times, this is what happens with managers. They're promoted into people management with zero skills to do that. I mean, look at your education in terms of your jobs, I mean, that's very step by step by step and so on, but not so much when it comes to people management. We are just plunged in as either a reward or, or sometimes a punishment, it feels like we're doing <laughs> a good job. And I think this is what people managers do is they trial and error, but un- unfortunately it's on the backs of others.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> in, indeed. I, I did the exact same. I had a lot of trouble um, giving negative feedback. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I improved a lot. And, and the people I manage now, I, I, I don't have any trouble giving the right feedback. Um, but at the time, I think I struggled to find the reasons why I was giving that feedback. Although I knew them, then I just couldn't express them. And I always made shit sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> just wrapped it all in a lot of fluff. And then it felt like the message wasn't even coming across because people were oh. so distracted by all the fluff that I was saying, you, know, you did such a great job in this time and that time. And you managed this client so well, but this, you know, this could have been better, but that, and that, and it, was, it was so distracting the the yeah. way I was, I was making it sound that, yeah, it was just, wasn't efficient at all. Mm-hmm. And I think um, communication is definitely a, a big part of it, of, of being a manager. I and mean, that's something that I've, learn to get a little bit better at.
0: You know what I think a huge part of it is the collaboration with the person that, that you're talking with and, and managing. Because frankly, we're just all humans together. And uh, so just collaborate. And if I see something that's going south, you know what, I'm gonna let you know right away. And you know, if you see something going south with me as your manager, tell me right away. And, and yeah. I'll fix that. We can we can work these things out together because yeah. um, it is tough to be a manager, but it's so tough to be managed by someone who's not a very good manager. And um, and my heart goes out to people that that feel they're in that situation. And we all know people leave, you know, bad managers and they don't leave the job, they leave the, the manager and so on. And uh, I think that, when I think about career resilience in terms of being a manager, it's sort of learning all those things. And it sounds like you had self-reflection and self-awareness. You at least, you know, weren't being this pompous twit about it.
1: (laughs) I agree. I completely agree. I I remember times where, uh, you know, particularly because I was working on something that I had no experience in, and so my level of insecurity was, at it. it was just maxed out because I had no idea about fashion or footwear design or you know, clothes. Like, I had some ideas, but it's not, it's not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And because I had to manage people that have that expertise, it's really hard. Because when you're the expert in the matter, then you, know, you can use that to drive the strategy and to drive the team. Yeah. In my case, I tried to overcompensate by micromanaging. So I remember, for example, we had to do photo shoots for um, our catalog. And I remember the first photo shoot, it was a complete mess. I did not know how to organize things. And I also didn't trust my employees to do it for me or to do it with me and to teach me how to do it. Because I thought at that point that that was um, sort of like a weakness on on my side, the fact that I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And that's wrong, because it wasn't a weakness. It was not my area of expertise. They knew how to do it. They knew what should go. I could have my own opinions, and I should have had that debate more openly. And I had to learn how to how to to manage that. And I think the next few photo shoots were a little bit better. But I remember the first one being a complete mess, because I was trying to micromanage things like choosing which models, and choosing locations, and choosing which exact photos we were going to take when it was definitely not my, it was not my area.
0: <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so did one of your employees ever say anything to you? Like, you know,
1: we know what we're doing or? Um, not really. Um, I think there were times where they made me feel like they, they were sort of annoyed that I was meddling too much in, in their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would distance myself a little bit. But then I could never find that uh, balance between being too too much of a micromanager or distancing myself so much that yes. I didn't really know what was going on. And I think that's also a fine balance because to me, it, it, it's important to build a relationship of trust. And that's what I do when, when I'm managing a person now, which is, okay, I'm I am your manager. I'm here to teach you and to help you grow in your career and obviously, you know, to give you tasks and and to get things done. But at the same time, I'm here for, I'm I'm open for you to come to me and tell me, you know, how you want to be managed. How, how do you want your career to progress? And I think that's important because sometimes we have terrible tasks that, that we have to, to give.
0: No matter how many books you try and read or Google, you know, um, or webinars, whatever, you, you can pick up things, but, It's sort of just doing it and recognizing that we're just all people in this together and doing our very best. So, Pedro, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciated it. It was quite fascinating. Well, it's very fascinating, not quite fascinating. Um, So thank you for that. And to our listeners and viewers, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Pedro as much as I did and that um, some takeaways and thank you for joining us on your career journey. And uh, until we meet again, thanks very much.